Thanks so much for joining Making Healthcare Work for You, Different Perspectives and Empowering Solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta, and today we welcome Dr. Peter Pranavost, who is the Chief Quality and Clinical Transformation Officer at University Hospitals. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, thanks so much for having me. So we are just going to jump right in with you. You have remarkable work in checklists related to central lines. And then you also are a big, a big advocate of love. And so to me, those two things may seem unrelated, but I think they are because you found a way to systematically put love into healthcare in your university hospitals, and it has led to transformative results over the last several years. So why don't you tell us how those two things, being able to create a systematic checklist of things and injecting love into healthcare can really make results? Stephanie, let me give you a little background about how it came about. Um, and it frankly came about pretty ignobly. When I was a young critical care physician and I was working on safety and you know was publishing papers on safety and leading it at Johns Hopkins, uh, a, an adorable 18-month-old girl, Josie King, died of a catheter infection. And she looked hauntingly like my daughter, uh, was born days apart, ironically died on my birthday. And her mother, amazing woman, Sorrel, came to me afterwards and said, could you tell me, Peter, that this won't happen to my other daughters? And that poor doctor, you know, you like, I are so used to telling people all the great things we're doing. So I started on this reaction to say, oh, of course it wouldn't be. Here's what we're doing. And I had this like moral moment. And I said, I can't tell you. Our rates are sky high. We have a Mickey Mouse program. There's no evidence, uh, but I will. And so we designed a program that included checklists. And, and just to give you some context, Stephanie, those infections at the time killed more people than breast or prostate cancer. And we just accepted them as the cost of doing business. That if you care for little girls or sick people or old people, that people are going to die. And that's just the way it is. Well, we didn't accept that. So we eliminated these infections. We eliminated them or reduced by 80% in the state of Michigan and then state by state across the country. And now those rates are down by 80% in, in about 15 other countries. But we got curious and said, I don't think the checklist was the magic sauce. There, there was something deeper. They helped because at the time the CDC guideline had 150 items. And as you can imagine, there's no way you can do 150 things and they didn't rate what was most important. And we called that down to five simple items. But we partnered with some anthropologists and sociologists and interviewed clinicians and said, what was different about this? And when we spoke with them, you could immediately see in their eyes what they believed in their heart. They said, Peter, when we started we thought these infections were inevitable and I'm just a fill in the blank, a nurse, even a doctor. And after this, I believe they're preventable and I was powerful to do something about it, right? And that sense of agency kind of reframed it to say, okay, well, how do we change that mindset? Because that's the magic sauce for, transform, for transforming healthcare. And so we started you know, to explore this, but. Clabsies 
we're one infection. When I run a health system now, I have probably 20 or 30 or 50 projects of all different harms or waste that I have to eliminate it. So we needed to combine that to a management system. So we developed this framework of living and leading with love. And we define love as this energy that uplifts and connects everyone. And, and it, it's, it's in all of us, right? And if we think about all the problems we face in healthcare, and I would even say broader society, they're all the lack of love. There's a sense of a feeling of separation between us and someone else, whether someone else is viewed as unworthy or not knowledgeable or less than, or they see themselves as unworthy because they've been put down for, for so long. We transform and we break that and say, no, we are one. We are all connected. We honor your wisdom, especially people closest to, to the work. And we break silos so we have this free flow of ideas so diverse ideas could meet and mate and get new ideas or we can get the flowing of promising practices what works. And so we had this huge energy of you know, creating this love fest. And I mean, the energy is just palpable if you walk on our, uh, on our floors. But at the end of the day, results matter. And we also realize that there's compelling evidence in the literature that good management really matters and good management is largely absent. I mean, we, we know there's best practices and yet they're not used or they use 30% or 40% of the time. So we coupled with that building a disciplined management system. So as we know these things with that works and my health system has 23 hospitals, you know, it's quite large and, you know, over 500 primary care physicians and, you know, 2,200 physicians that when we know things work, how do we make sure we scale them at practice? And that love accelerates that work because people sense that this isn't about power or me, this is about patience. This is about the power that's in them to give great care. And we're just unleashing it in everybody. The story that you told Peter about how this uh, this girl's death impacted you and, and, and what it means for obviously for Stephanie that her baby was able to get out of the NICU uh, I guess I'll just have to say before before I jump into my question, how much of a thrill it is for me to be speaking with you here today, Peter. You have inspired me and countless clinicians, uh, quality improvement professionals, transformational professionals for decades. So it's it's really an honor to be able to speak with you and to now have you talking about this topic, which which, which we think is truly fundamental to change, is is really uh, very near and dear to Stephanie and I's hearts. Uh, so we thank you and welcome you again for coming to the program. Uh, with, with that, I guess my, my question there, Peter, is uh, maybe double-clicking a little bit on what you said in response to Stephanie's last question. You, you talked about the agency that you saw in the people behind the checklist, and that seemed to be the secret sauce. And then from somewhere within that, it seemed to emerge this idea that there was also love that was necessary. Uh, do you see love as part of agency? Uh, did it somehow emerge out of that? Or is it a, se a separate component of it? Maybe you can talk to us a little bit about how that journey you know, came about. Yeah, beautiful question. And thanks for those uh, kind words. Love is without a doubt because love says that I'm innately worthy. I'm born with it. I don't have to do anything to be valued as a human being, right? And so many other people feel less than, let me share with you what we did at UH to just pr pr prove this. And I, I wish I had some slides to, to show you. We were messaging this to say, everybody at UH needs to be committed to zero harm 
and maximizing people's value, right? And we define harm as zero physical harm, zero suffering from poor experience, zero inequities and zero waste. And we then asked every employee, we did it in groups or floors, what do you need to stop believing and start believing for that to be true? And it, it literally we had t-shirts made up about zero harm. And what was striking is for virtually every group of employees, and I mean our EVS workers, so environmental services, people who clean the rooms and the bathrooms, our transporters, you know, people who are key, but often not very high on the hierarchy and often looked down upon, even our nurses, every one of them's I will statement was some version of, I'm gonna stop feeling that my voice isn't heard and start believing I'm part of the care team or I'm gonna stop believing that what I do doesn't matter or it doesn't make a difference. And I'm gonna start believing that my actions could help save lives, right? I mean, like, like think about the power in that. We have like 35,000 employees, right? If all of them or most of them felt that my voice wasn't heard or I wasn't part of the team or I didn't have agency. And now we flip that and we have 35,000 people who are on fire to say, I'm gonna bring my ideas, I'm gonna work to give you a great experience. I mean, that's the transformative magic. How did you get to that point to to make them feel safe to do that? Because I think when you said that there were poor scores originally, and that was obviously something that you wanted to do, not just because you wanted to change the image, but because it genuinely mattered to you. But when you're in that sort of situation, I think it can be hard for people, especially like you said, transporters, environmental services, to believe that you're really caring, you know, because it's like, no, this has to be because they're trying to not lose money or they're trying to do something right, else, right? right? How do you get them to really buy into that to the level that all 35,000 of them are saying, I know that my voice is heard and I matter and I can make a difference in this? Yes, yeah, Stephanie, really insightful full question. I, it's not so much that I can get them to do anything other than help see what's already in them. And that comes from an authentic belief in their potential, like in the love that's in them, right? So there can't be any games. I mean, and it can't be about my power. I mean, it's literally the only thing it's about, it's about the patients we serve and that messaging that I believe we will get to zero harm in our organization. We won't get there though, unless every one of you join us on that journey because you have a vital role. Now, please join us. Like, come on with us, we need you. But then say like, hey, well, what's holding you back? And and I think when people sense that deep sense of belief, I mean, it's almost like a religious thing when you feel that there's someone who's not judging you, right? That I that you get that sense of, and whatever one of the great religions that spiritual is, is the fundamental concept is that I'm not judged, right? That I'm just accepted for who I am and that I have innate worth. And I think when people see that, because Stephanie, as you know, I mean, sad to say, most times in healthcare, they don't feel that, right? There, no one even ignores them. They don't, you know, how often might you walk into a room and see someone cleaning the bathroom and say, thank you for preventing infections, right? Or, you know, hey, floor looks great. Thanks for keeping us safe. Or a transporter, you know, your words and kind smile really comforted that patient, right? We too often don't connect to people. And I think when you do that, it just releases this immense amount of power and energy. 
Peter, wow, that's uh, that's really amazing and helpful to understand how you do that. Uh, a, a few different questions coming to me, but I guess one of those maybe we can follow is this idea that uh, as as we've been trying to talk about love, and sometimes we call it compassion, uh, you know, ourselves trying to struggle a little bit with the terms and what's the difference. Maybe it's all just a series of of the values, but oftentimes I have gotten the feedback that love is too strong of a word, that we're not ready for it yet. Why don't you stick to compassion or call it something else? Because maybe we're not even ready for that yet. And so I can't imagine, obviously, you're Peter Protovost. And so you're heading this organization in, in such a critical way and, and leading it already to success. So I'm sure you must be seeing the success. But are you getting that same sense of, uh, you know, hesitation, critique or pushback yeah, on really my love? Yeah. So, so I'll share with you. It's great. When I first used the word, like you could see, I got... Uh, like strange looks and, and but people who it, you can clearly see it touch something, especially people who were being being willing to be more vulnerable and accept it. Cause we all, I mean, you know, we all want to be loved. We all want to be accepted. And it grew to the point where now literally in our board meeting, the word love is thrown out regularly and no one bats an eye. Like, just think about that transformation. It's just like, it's kind of in all of our executives meetings, um, use the word love and talk about yes, Peter, love. But let, let me give you a couple examples of how I think we softened or made it acceptable. Um, to get people to see what we mean, you know, I asked people to say, imagine when you looked at a snow-capped mountain or the sun shimmering on the sea or a baby's beautiful face or perhaps even a piece of artwork. When you do, you get this sense of awe. And awe is that sense that we're all connected, that there's something deeper, bigger than all of us, but we're part of it. It's in us and we're in them. And say, then, and let's just call that love. If you're religious, you may call that God or grace. If you're spiritual, you may call it a universal being, but let's just agree to call it love. And then say all of our problems in healthcare are the result of a lack of love, right? Looking down upon someone, separating from someone, and all of our solutions are resolving those separations, coming together. And then to make it even more concrete, I say, but this isn't really theoretical. Uh, and I draw upon the work of Barbara Friedrichsen in her beautiful book, Love 2.0, where she studies the biology of love and literally what makes oxytocin spike, you know, the cuddle hormone or the nursing hormone. And what she found is that love or oxytocin spikes aren't a 50-year marriage, though they're in it. Love lives in micro moments of positive connection. These moments beautiful moments where I feel warm towards you, you feel warm towards me, and we create energy. So it's a respectful smile to a homeless person. It's a hand on a worried patient. It's that nurse who got the nurse practitioner for your daughter, Stephanie. It's an arm around a colleague who made a mistake. It's that effervescence when you're innovating and brainstorming, which I love doing of how to solve problems. And you're just like in the flow of thinking of new ideas and iterating off, off each other. And those micro moments add up to this big transformation change. And so the idea is, so just go make a micro moment, right? It's not really that hard. You can go do that at the, the same time. We also though say, 
you know, this isn't just like a love fest. Love is strong enough and powerful enough for you to both be in the spotlight and celebrate your greatness, but also be under the spotlight to be accountable for performance because results matter. And believe me, we don't get the results we have without having really good accountability systems, but they're shared accountability. You know, too often accountability is I point my finger at you and say, why aren't you doing this? And even though I might be the one restraining resources from you, I like wash my hands of any responsibility to imagine it's your problem, right? And so we created this literally explicit rule at my organization that said, shared accountability means that any higher level leader could only hold a lower level leader accountable if they first hold themselves accountable to set that team up to be maximally successful. So when I'm looking at a team that's not successful, I'm not saying doctor or nurse, what did you do? And we give them a framework of what that means. Format in a checklist, of course. It says, do they know the goal? Do they know the key results that we're trying to get or the behaviors that they change? Do they know their roles? Do they have the resources? Have you created an enabling infrastructure that gives them feedback on those data, that makes it easy to do things? Have you created those peer learning communities that I talked about of belonging so the ideas flow freely and have you reported data transparently? If you haven't done those things, that's your job as the manager to create those, right? The Once that's created, the frontline staff figures out how to solve it. But your job is to create the why and the what we're trying to, to achieve. And that kind of Again, it's love breaking separation where it's not us versus them. It's a we. We will all ensure your success, but success isn't optional, right? You're not opting out to using the checklist. You're not opting out for improving ERAS or reducing harm. We will do that together. Because then, as you said, compassion, what if we buy into this love, at least in my view, the values then that guide our work, you can almost think of them as you know, perhaps below that meta concept of our very simple. And, and I believe they're the core values for transformation in healthcare. And they are, I am humble, curious, and compassionate. I respect, appreciate, and help others. And I'm accountable to continuously improve myself, my organization, and my community, or you can say the world, right? Imagine where we would be as a society if we lived those values. When you're saying people were a little resistant to using the word love, and now it flows freely. So I feel like compassion and empathy are the politically correct ways to say love for some people. They're afraid that love is going to cross totally that agree. line in some way. But it's not, because it's not creepy love, I guess, right? <laughs> it's yeah, genuine no, I mean, love. Yeah, that's exactly. And we're very intentional. I'm very intentional of saying it's the energy that uplifts and connects us, right? I mean, we all feel it. I'm feeling in this interview, right? I mean, like it's it's really palpable when you're like in that zone with someone where you're feeling this connecting and uplifting, you know, or on this flip side of feeling disconnected and minimized or reduced or diminished, right? And and we, um, you know, I, it, it's interesting, Stephanie, because I think so much of that political correctness is um, that the end result is feeling you're less than or you're judged and I'm bad. And I, we started this program called Conversations of Love to address racism. And what 
I say explicitly is say, it's like, I want you to come out of this feeling powerful that you're in, you know, you're going to have agency to go solve something that this love buoys you and inspires you to go do something. It's not coming out of it feeling small or less than, but I think unfortunately too often, that's what happens when you emerge from some of these trainings. Are you able to translate that feeling that people have when you're there in the room, you're inspiring them. Clearly they're getting inspired. We're getting inspired just listening to you. Uh, is that translate into something measurable as well? Are you able to tell somehow how the institutional culture is shifting? Uh, are you basing that on, on outcomes or is there any other metric you have for how you're assessing that people are actually treating each other with love now? Yeah, so that's exactly right. And let me just give you, because you couldn't think this is just a nicety, or we can go back to science and the data, which are, are my roots. So let me just share with you a smattering of the projects that we've done with what the results were. And I probably have 50 of them if we had more time. All of them use this same belief, belong, build, or living and leading with love model. We took surgical length of stay from 6.8 days to 1.8 days. Remarkable reduction. We reduced surgical complications by over 70%. We reduced sepsis mortality by 82%. We reduced deep venous thrombosis by 65%. In our population health work, which because I also oversee that, we uh, improved our star ratings on Medicare from 3.5 to 4.5. We reduced the annual Medicare expenditures over three years by 33%. I, I, I don't know if you follow population health, like that would transform Medicare if that was scaled across the country. I mean, it's, it's it, we, our annual spend went from 12,400 12, to 8,200. I mean, just ridiculous. And while we improved our quality scores, um, we controlled the largest study to date of a thousand diabetic patients who weren't uh, controlled to now drop their A1C by 1.5 points. And again, it's this simple approach. And, and you know, let me just give you the most magical about culture things. We have a transformation meeting every Tuesday morning. Um, and there's maybe 150 people on it. Uh, some report to me, most are just anywhere from across our entire system, including IT, finance, HR, human resources, and then a bunch of clinicians and, and ACO and quality. And one day is kind of hospital focused. The next week is pop health or uh, a ACO focused. And we, for each of these projects, we have, you know, clear outcomes and key results, but different people will present. And then we literally just ask the question, who could accelerate this or who could make it better? And there's just this like magical pinging going on and say, oh, like, well, I could bring this to my ear. I say, okay, great. Go ahead and do it. And next time you come back, tell us how it went. Or I could bring this to this. And, and even so many of that linkage between hospital and home where it's like, well, oh yeah, you know, let, let's talk offline because we could connect you to what we're doing for transitional care management when they leave the hospital and make sure it's hardwired right from the hospital. And it's once you create this love or this energy that uplifts and connects, the, the process part is easy. I mean, people know how to solve the problems. They were too worried about staying in their own silo or didn't even think that outside of their silos was possible. And now it's just this magical pinging of energy. And it's just, it's, it's so uplifting uh, to hear. 
This was remarkable. Thank you so much for this conversation. I've learned so much and I am beyond impressed by the results that you've done and how you've brought love to everybody in your organization. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And I hope we uh, could spread love further to other health systems. So thanks. Very gratified. Thank you so much, Peter, for joining us. Be well. And thank you all thank for you. watching. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.